Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey everyone, this is Allison Kay, and welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. You know, I often get asked, what are the keys to business success? And if you know me, you hear me talk about better business knowledge equals better business results. However, in addition to competence, you need confidence. So as you're a business builder, you need to know how to reach for that confidence, how to build your leadership skills. And so we're going to take a slightly different direction this episode, and I invited an expert to come speak with us. So I would love to introduce you to Marissa Santoro. She is a TEDx speaker, author, career coach, gutsy leadership trainer, motivational speaker. I find this interesting. We're going to ask her questions. She's a former Wall Street executive, but now she works with individuals through her career platform in our shoes. So Marissa, welcome to this episode. Allison, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. And we are going to talk about your book, author or own your own authority, follow your instincts, radiate confidence, and communicate as a leader people trust. So tell us what inspired you to write Own Your Authority. Well, I guess the, the, the number one thing for me was uh, I, I wanted to somehow couple, one, couple two things together in one message, following your instincts and intuition and leadership, business leadership. Uh And, um, you know, what I found was really lacking in the market even today is that there's a lot of uh, information, professional development on leadership and what to do. But I never really found a lot on, you know, how to be and how to show up and, you know, how to to tap into what's not often talked about because we can't see it, right? The gut instinct. And for me personally, uh, growing my career in, on Wall Street you know, as a woman in a very male-dominated uh, career and industry, also, if you haven't, you know, if you can tell, I'm, I'm very soft-spoken. That's just my natural voice. And so I felt like, you know, there were just ways I had to get creative to, to advance. And, and one of the strongest tools I had in my hip pocket was just following my gut, you know, in a meeting or negotiating or for a job, speaking. And so I just really wanted to, to really... Uh, couple leadership and instinct together and and come up with a book that talked about owning your authority uh, from that perspective. Well, and I think I talk to so many people who are, you know, Allison, if I just got that promotion or if somebody just loved my business idea or, you know, they're looking for so much external validation and that's not really the path. And this is what I really liked about your book is it goes through a lot of different principles of how to help people own that authority. So let's talk about like chapter one. Um, How do you get an ease of authenticity? Well, the fastest path, and you hit it right on the head, uh, the fastest path to feeling at ease and authentic at work, whether in in that example of job promotion or looking for a new opportunity, 
uh, is taking an inside out approach. You know, what do I want to, uh, before, before you think about what you want to say, do you want to think about, well, how, how, what, what is my intention, right? How can I be intentional about what I want to say versus the words that I'm going to say? And, and that can look like so many things, but you know, once you're clear, it's clarity, right? Clarity is power. Once you're clear on the intention, then, you know, you don't have to be so uh, stuck to a script. You can sort of wing it and go with the flow of the conversation, but you have to be really clear on, on the intention. And I always, I always tell people, you know, it doesn't even matter if you, if you don't hit all the beats, but going into any conversation opportunity, even a networking event, right? Uh, have at least three things in your hip pocket that you want to be intentional to. And if you just have one of those three things in, in whatever, you know, that, uh, you know, setting is, then, then the words will come, the confidence comes. And, and it also has a, a very strong blend of instinct because we don't know what, what's going to happen, right? But if you stick with the intention, uh, you know, everything really does flow. And I, I don't think that we often give ourselves enough credit in terms of our internal power, our own power, owning our power, right? Power meaning influence, not control. Uh, so that's probably, you know, the, the number one thing I would say, uh, inside out leadership in that, in that regard. And you have this thing, so we talk about using our gut, but yet, you know, experts are made, we're developed as we, we go along and you can choose how to accelerate that development. Give us some information or some tips on this concept of experts being made and how we can accelerate our confidence and authority. Yeah, you know, I talk about the I talk about the the sort of navigational path to expert. Uh, I found for myself that you know the there is this a bit of a you know unspoken pressure that we put on ourselves to be this you know leading expert influencer you know get the corner office even though that doesn't exist anymore right with open floor plans but you know figuratively getting that uh, level of of expertise and recognition. Uh, but the path to really doing that, and what I found for myself is, is even when you're starting out in your career, just a year in, right, and then eventually, you know, more than a few years in, it's really about leveraging and repackaging what you already know. Uh, and and I don't want to use the word spin because it sounds like a very marketing salesman-y approach, but really positioning it so that you can find a void, possibly even create a new opportunity that doesn't exist, leveraging and packaging and bundling it so that you can uh, be ready, right? Preparation meets opportunity in order to move into a more uh, leading uh, influential role, more leadership, which then as a happy side effect establishes you as an expert. But you don't really go from point A to point B unless you're steadily along the way, really repackaging yourself and turning into what I like to call that advisor, right? We start our career off on the ground being that expert doing, learning really well, and then perfecting it. But once we reach that perfection state, you can, you can take that. And now all of a sudden you're being called on for your ideas and how you think, not necessarily for the doing anymore. And so that's really the, the springboard for you to recognize yourself as an expert. Um, but again, like there's a mindset um, shift that goes along with that because there's some limiting beliefs where people say, well, they believe I've been doing my job for 10, 15 years. What do I have to bring to the table that's new? And so, you know, if you go in with that mindset, then you're never going to leverage. You're not going to transform and fill those voids and, and, and really uh, create some new opportunities. So, so you really, it really starts with self, self-awareness, self-leadership, and then seeing where that level of expertise can be applied 
right? And, and packaging it that way. And then you could sell it, right? That's when you get the buy-in, but you can't sell it unless you're aware of the assets, the leadership assets that you have so that you can, you know, reach that a, a, a bit of a more advanced expertise level that is recognized uh, and perceived to be um, someone of, uh, who has that expertise. So you have this concept in the book called Think Like an Immigrant. What does that concept pertain to? Yeah, you know, um, I have to be honest. I'm glad you asked that because I was a little, I was a little um, unsure if I should leave that, ch- that title in there. Um, just because of so much of the, you know, in the news and, and, and real life events, right, current events around immigrants, especially in the United States. I am a product of an immigrant family. My parents are both immigrants. Uh, and what I really was talking about in that chapter, the concept applied to leadership is that immigrants do not wait. They know that everything is a numbers game, right? They will ask whoever to get the next job. They will barter with, you know, who, who, who knows who, right? And, and they'll trade. And if, if they receive a no, they'll move on to the next opportunity. They won't wait. And so I feel like for me in, in corporate America, you know, I, I somehow picked that up. You know, we picked up behaviors as children and I, I really learned to become desensitized to rejection. Um, you know, just sort of recognizing that every no really turns into a next in your life. And if you sort of follow the immigrant mindset, they're like Teflon. You know, they don't care if they get 10 doors slammed in their face. They're going to keep going because they know the numbers game. The law of probability states the more things you try, the more likely your results will be achieved. And so um, I saw that firsthand with my parents, you know, uh, willing to give the back off their shirts, uh, their shirts off their back for others. And also, um, you know, uh, being willing and, and comfortable asking for things. And so it's this like law of reciprocity that we have in life that we don't really talk about. But that's the immigrant way. And you know what? The immigrant way actually works in terms of success in any, any area of your life. And so, um, yeah, that's really what, uh, what that chapter of the book was about. Well, thank you for explaining that. And I think it, particularly to our audience, the people that would listen to Disruptive CEO Nation, because we talk about, you know, what it takes to found companies, what it takes to have the gumption and the perseverance to keep going. And I think that is the challenge with uh, feeling like you have that, that confidence and that authority, you're going to get beat down a lot. And so I, I like mm-hmm. that, that example that you've given to people to think about is that it's a numbers game and it's, it is perseverance and, and it's also the attitude when you get the rejection, um, how you move forward. There's some other things in this book that I love because as you're a business builder, whether you are leading a company or being on a team that's a startup or being an entrepreneur in an existing company, there are a lot of leadership things that definitely are learned. Some people have that inherent nature. And like you said, using our gut is so important. But the one that is a big struggle that you address in a chapter in the book is about speaking without apology. Because I think particularly in the environment that we live in today, the culture today, right, with the different generations in the workforce and how we treat everybody, you know, sometimes you need to bring that competent, confident leader to the table. Sometimes you need to bring the servant leader, the benevolent leader to the table. But this issue of a, of a, of apology and and how that plays into things. Um, Share with us some of your thoughts on that, because you you spent a whole chapter on this concept of speaking without apology. 
Yeah, you know, speaking about apology, <clears throat> little background on that. That was a keynote talk that I ran for uh, years. It was. It started off at NYU. Um, they had asked me to do to put together a program on uh, this concept of of people always feeling the need to apologize in business and instead of asking for what they want. You know, there's this little, you know, I'm just checking in or, um, you know, I'm so sorry I'm late. You know, subtle things and so. Um, so I thought, you know, I got so much interest and so many corporations, uh, you know, had invited me in to do that talk that I felt like it really should go in the book. And initially, I do feel like it was slanted a bit for women uh, because women are known to apologize more, not just in work, you know, in life, right? Apologizing more than in our communication. Um, but then men also, you know, stated um, that they struggled with it as well. So, you know, it's really being self-aware of how in everyday conversation, uh, whether on email, whether on a phone call, whether in a meeting, virtual or live, whether on a stage, uh, just tiny little speech qualifiers, like the word just, for instance, I'm just calling, just checking in. Uh, we actually dilute our value uh, and we actually, you know, minimize ourselves as opposed to, you know, being intentional, like we talked about earlier, and just asking for what you want and stating, you know, how are things going? Um, an interesting example in that book that I share uh, between men and women, perfect example is, let's say, uh, you know, a woman is late for a really key meeting that, that she has. She, she could be an executive. It doesn't matter where she is in her career because she had a doctor's appointment. She might come into the office and say, I'm so sorry I'm late, but I had a doctor's appointment. A man, on the other hand, would say, I had a doctor's appointment earlier. Catch me up. Right. There's no sorry. There's no hidden, you know, agenda or, you know, they keep it light. They keep it airy and they don't put any attention on them. So, you know, just being aware that chapter is really being aware of, um, you know, really how you are showing up in all your communication, even on emails. You know, um, there are things that we write on emails uh, that might be construed differently. So just really, you know, being clear on the energy that you put behind your emails and your your regular conversation. And, and are you are you seeking some sort of permission versus just stating the facts, being unattached to reactions to you, uh, leading your team without worrying about everybody in the room, you know, not agreeing with you, things like that, really speaking from a place of power and also listening without apology. I cover that in that chapter as well. There's also a listening factor. We really can't speak effectively if we're not listening well to our constituents and our clients and our business partners. So there's a two-step dance in that equation, but um, definitely something I've seen as a common theme. And I just thought it would, you know, should be talked about. Well, we have this concept of wasteful words in business and leaders are perceived more competent, honestly, with the fewer words. And, and you have in this section um, a category called get to the point. And this is the thing that young professionals and even seasoned professionals need to learn and do a better job at. I'm a huge proponent of outlining what you want from somebody before you get on a phone call or before you walk into another office or before you get on the Zoom call. Really sticking to that agenda, even in small conversations. And don't do you think, Marissa, that it makes a big difference in people that you've coached and worked with when they can control their language. Oh, absolutely. And and what's even more powerful is that they're not aware of how they're contributing to the same responses that they're receiving. If you just make tiny tweaks in your language, 
you can ch you can dr drastically change how that meeting ends or that you know very very quick phone call ends. Um, so it's also owning your power and recognizing you actually have complete control over how that conversation goes, and it's through your dialogue and getting to the point. <laughs> and you know, and on the opposite uh, end of the spectrum with that one example, getting to the point, and why I put it in the book, is that we have all been in the meetings where we're watching someone present or speak, and they don't ever get to the point, right? They keep going around and around and around, and it's like, can you get to the point already? And so being aware of how that was happening, I had to get clear on how I have to really quickly, in a very short amount of time, leading a meeting or doing a presentation, how do I get to the point so that I capture their attention quick, I don't lose them, you know, get my message across, tell a story, and then get out of there and make sure that they're in action and mobilized. <laughs> so um, getting to the point is so key in, in our communication. Well, and Marissa, as, as I coach young professionals as well, they need to understand all of us are in sales. We are always in sales. We are always mm -hmm. representing something, whether it's our view, whether it's our product, whether it's our vision. We are all representing something pretty much at all times. Yes. Oh, I love that. I'm, I'm glad that you're uh, enforcing that, especially with the young, young professionals, because out of the box, right, out of college, unless you're a marketing major, you don't walk into business and expect to be a marketer or even realize you have to be a marketer. But honestly, everything in every situation, getting coffee in the kitchen, uh, sharing an elevator ride with someone, when your boss says, so what's going on? Uh, what's new? What are you up to? You have to be ready with a couple of really quick responses that are going to sell it. And so if you look at the definition of marketing, the, only, the definition of marketing is just being on the minds of your clients, like all the time. And to be on the mind of your client, your boss, everyone's your client, right? Your, your, your boss is your client, your team, your direct reports. Uh, you have to be ready and you have to be willing to step into that marketing um, authentic uh, space. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I love that. It's so, so key. Not many people talk about that, Allison. I think that's a great message to really bring in. Marissa, you are an expert at this concept of leading with intuition. And as you said, you started at the beginning, leading with your gut. And I think for people who are expanding their, their business skills, you know, company founders who are growing their business, learning the pitch, learning how to lead teams. It's difficult because we're trying to get everybody moved along with their business skills, but yet still maintain that balance of their gut. And, and I also say sometimes it's a lie to growing professionals to think that everything needs to be authentic because sometimes your authentic self isn't the right language for the situation, but let's talk, can you share with us a little bit more about harnessing intuition in your business day and in your business decisions? How can I learn to trust yeah. it more? Yeah, you know, uh, I made that the last chapter of the book because uh, I spent so much time talking about instinct and intuition. I thought I should probably devote uh, ways in which I found were effective for intuition. Uh, you know, I think one of the best ways to develop it is really to listen to what's not being said. Uh, and that includes from yourself when you're in a meeting or a conversation with someone and, and really listening and feeling into your body 
So as an example, if you're in a conversation with someone who on paper is perfect, you know, maybe they're the employer or maybe they're the boss or whoever they may be on, on paper, they're the perfect relationship for you. Um, but there's, there's something that doesn't feel right in that relationship. There might be a lack of trust. There might be some, you know, concerns that you're not sure they are really addressing. And so if you feel that in your gut, right, we, we all know what the feeling is. We may not be able to taste or touch it, but we do know that gut feeling. When you feel your stomach drop or you feel a shift in your body, uh, you know, you can't explain it, but you just know it. That's when you really want to be aware of it and, and, and look for whatever thought in that moment really comes up for you. And that's where you might say something, you know, you might share a million dollar idea that you hadn't thought of before you went into that situation. It might be sharing some, uh, some concerns or uh, it might just being real and sharing, uh, you know, where you are and where you think a project should be moving in a new direction. Um, but you don't get to that action step until you actually lean into your gut and you feel like the conversation might be navigating in a different direction, for example. So you really want to focus the best, the best advice I give really for, intu for intuition is, is to really feel into your body and be aware of, of how it changes in that moment. Um, and then I also recommend, uh, this is sort of like a secret sauce to I, I find when making decisions, you're not sure if you should make a key decision based on your gut is to really ask yourself if you're feeling nervous and excited at the same time. If those two emotions exist, it's probably going to be a good decision for you. If, on the other hand, you're, you're making a decision based on fear or a really strong uh, need for security or whatever it might be, then you're making a decision based on fear and, and it, you know, it likely isn't going to align with, with purpose and, and what, what you're trying to achieve. So, so I would say those, those are the couple of things that I would absolutely tap into uh, so, to know that you're following your gut. So on that note, Marissa, you followed your gut because you had this career in Wall Street and then you became a company founder. You developed your own, your own business. Can you tell us a little bit about the decision that you made to make those life transitions and how scary was it for you? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's a question I always get asked at the end of the talk I'll do, but um, I just want to say for those listening in, uh, I don't really subscribe to the belief that you leave your day job and go follow your dream. Um, that's not what I did. I don't find it to be successful for anybody. I think it's a gradual uh, uncovering. I think that for me, <clears throat> if someone would have told me when I was sitting in corporate America at the mid-career um, where I was, that I would have left, I would have fell off my chair. It was never even something I was considering. But for me, um, I was actually secretly <laughs> career coaching behind closed doors. I just fell into it. People were asking me for advice. I was telling them and they were getting results. And I found that I really enjoyed it. Um, but I didn't really know how to do it. And so for me, my path was to inch it off, right? Wean off um, in different ways uh, away from you know the corporate full-time job. And I run my business on the side. And that's what I was doing for many, many years, uh, nights and weekends. I even used tons of vacation time to, to do events. I mean, you name it. You really have to be serious about it because if it's just a jobby, you know, what I call a, a job that really feels like a hobby, then that's fine too. Uh, but if you're really serious about it, um, you know, lean into your gut, get clear on what it is and why you're so driven in that particular direction 
and then um, just keep talking about it and following opportunities that would lead you to really creating something that feels real until you build it up enough that you feel like, you know what, I think I can do this. I think I can exit. And that was really my path, but it wasn't overnight. It was, you know, several years in the making and, um, and just making sure that this is really what I want to do before I walk away from so much job security. And I was, you know, I'm also a single mom. So, uh, you know, being a, a primary breadwinner was a major, major factor, right? So everyone has their own situation, but, um, for me, it really had to feel 100% right in the end before I actually, you know, cut the cord. So, so thank you for story. sharing your, your personal story. We are coming up on our time. So how can people find out more about the book and more about you? Uh, well, the best place to find me is on inourshoes.com. That's I-N-R-shoes.com, I-N-R-shoes. And my email is marissa at inrshoes.com, M-A-R-I-S-A. And if you're interested in the book, it's called Own Your Authority on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And we're going to have a lot of uh, great uh, great giveaways for, for the book, resources that go with it, and podcasts. So, yeah, so those will probably be the best, best places. Marissa, thank you again for sharing your energy, sharing your knowledge, and for letting everybody know where they can get the book. Again, the book is Own Your Authority, Follow Your Instincts, Radiate Confidence, and Communicate as a Leader People Trust. This is Allison Kay. If there is an interesting thought expert that you think we should speak with, please email me at connect at allisonkaysummers.com. Until then, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Marissa, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you, Allison. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.